CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents...
Hey, man. Don't you know you can get picked up for loitering? What, in front of a precinct house? Oh, not me. I, uh, I got a friend inside, name of, uh, Detective Sergeant Wagle. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Say, aren't you Gil Stevens used to hang around kidding me he was a middle linebacker, huh? No, I didn't hang. I sat on my duff most of the time. <laughs> Knocked there by a big, ugly, gung-ho offensive guard supposed to be my buddy. Ah, those were the good old <laughs> days, ain't Gil? Yeah, the best. Tell me, any luck today? Nope. Hmm. Stockbroker deal didn't work out, huh? Nope. Ah, well, something will turn up. Hey, come on, I'm off duty. Let's you and me go on home and grab a couple of beers. We can pick up some stuff at the deli, you know, get home, take our shoes off, knock a few back, Gil. No, I won't be staying, Dick. I'm moving out tomorrow. Oh, what are you talking about? You can't cut out an old roomie that way. Oh, come off it, Deke. This isn't the old days. You're married. You got a home, a kid, a, a job, a whole new life. I'm in the way. <laughs> Betty doesn't mind. I know, but I... I got to split. I can't live off you. Well, what are you going to do? Well, there's always welfare. Or digging ditches. Merchant, marine, army, something. Somebody's got to be able to use a warm body somewhere. <laughs> my fault. When I got that good job last spring with the paper bag and container company, I should have hung in there and let football go. But then the Hornets had that rash of injuries in training, and they were hurting for linebackers, and they wanted to sign me as a free agent. I couldn't resist, and I was back with the jocks again. Then the second exhibition game, I got the concussion, and they put me out on waivers, and nobody claimed me, and I ended up back on the bench again, with suddenly no jobs open. Now what? Gil, you knock it off. Now we're going to get things cooking for you. Hey, you know something I was thinking? Why not TV or movies or acting or like that? <laughs> Are you kidding? Well, other jocks, maybe. Other jocks had big names, a good press. People knew them. Well, yeah, but just the same. It's like Betty says. Show business is always looking for new names. Like this here. Cue to casting. Here, oh, let's see this. Equity showcase. Terrific opportunity. Star part for unknown and new play. Man of 30 or less in magnificent condition. Must sing, dance. Well, I guess not. you got to be kidding. I'm no actor. I, I don't have any talent like that. Ah, would you hold it? Now, listen to this one. No previous show business experience required. Mature young man. Must be exactly six feet. Weight not over 190. Brown hair, light brown eyes. With Midwestern accent. This is a long-term contract, so he should be single and, if possible, unattached. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. Knock it off. You know what that is? Some stud for a skin flick. Would you listen for just a minute? Full bond will be posted. Object cannot be revealed, but this is a nationwide search which will make the winner secure for life. Write post office box 240 daily journal and include copy of birth certificate, photograph, address, and a short biography. Yeah, well, what do you think? I think you're a good friend. And, and I thank you for your interest, Deke. But just let me work this out for myself, huh? I had my all-state ring. Pawning that gave me enough to move into the Somerset in the mid-40s off Times Square. I haunted all the part-time employment agencies in the neighborhood. Nothing. Till one day by accident, I passed a newsstand and saw a copy of Q to Casting. On an impulse, I bought it, putting in my last four bits. In a doorway, I leaped through it. And suddenly, the ad leaped out at me again. No previous show business required. What the devil, I couldn't lose. I wrote box 240 and waited for an answer. It came two days later. A message at the hotel desk and an appointment. If the sumptuous hotel and the office number, which turned out to be the penthouse suite, surprised me, my interviewer surprised me even more. Yes? I'm, uh, I'm Gil Stevens. Oh, please, come in. Uh, you can take your things off and leave them there. My things? I meant your coat, hat, whatever. That'll be sufficient for the moment. Well, now, just a moment, Miss... Ewell, uh... not like the Christmas log, E-W-E-L-L. -L. Oh, well, my name is Gil... Yes, Steve. I know. I recognize you from the picture you sent. I could have picked you out anywhere in the crowd. 
What does that mean? Uh, just my mordant sense of humor. Mordant? It means... I know what it means. Caustic, sardonic, sarcastic. I only questioned it coming from you. Why? You picture me as the wholesome, all-American girl. Aren't you? I'm a factotum, all-purpose gopher, a secretary, Girl Friday, okay? You got me pegged. Hey, I, I didn't mean to get your back up. You didn't. Don't flatter yourself. Are you ready to answer some questions? I'm not sure. Maybe you're getting my back up. Uh, no, no, please, please. I, I'm sorry, don't go. Is it... Well, it's... You couldn't know how important. To you? And you. <laughs> What's so special about me? What is this whole gig, anyway? A perfectly legitimate business deal, if you're interested. Interested? I wouldn't kid you. I'm, I'm on the ropes. A job is what I need. I can tell you one thing, honestly. This is one you'll have the inside track on. Uh, won't you sit down, Mr. Stevens, and let me ask you those questions? As long as it's just between us girls. <laughs> Shoot. I wouldn't have been so flip if I'd known that it wasn't just between us. I wouldn't have been flip at all. Even considering this was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my life. I would have taken off and run like I'd intercepted a pass and there was nothing between me and the goal line. The only difference is once I'd crossed it, I'd have kept on running. Right out of the stadium and the whole game. Rather than ever meet the two I didn't know then, were watching me through the one-way mirror on the wall beside the desk. Hubie the Hook and Nick Vados. It's miraculous, Hubie. I found him. Don't strain your brain. Turn on the sound, please. Sure, boys. See your driver's license, please. I suppose I don't have one. I want to check your age. Do you carry a birth certificate? <laughs> no. Wedding license? <laughs> what for? I never had the nerve. Here, here's the uh, driver's license. Thank you. Born April 29th, 1946. That's incredible. That does it. Huh? The same sign as him. What's incredible? Oh, oh forgive me. I, I was just surprised. You're a Taurus, too. A what? A Taurus. The astrological sign that you were born under. Oh, that's that's bad? No. N no, it's good. Oh. Do you have insurance? Yes, uh, so far. What does that mean? Well, if I don't make the next payment, I guess it's kaput. I see. Who's the beneficiary? My mother. Where does she live? In Nebraska. L look, is, is all this necessary? You put everyone through this? No. So far, you're the only one. Well, why me? Because the moment I saw you, I knew you were going to be right for this job. And I think that my boss will be in complete agreement. Yeah, she's right. Cut the switch, Hubie. Let's go meet the new Mr. Derwood Drake. I couldn't figure it. Nothing made much sense. What job? What kind of job that depended on the way I looked? Whether I carried insurance... And the most far out of all, what astrological sign I was born under. But at least I might be about to learn something more. As an inner door opened and two men came in. One was short, squat, and fat. The other was huge. As tall as a basketball center and built as solid as a tackle. I estimated him at 285. With forearms pretty near as big as my thighs. Except that on the end of the left one, instead of a hand... He wore a prosthetic device best described as a hook. It was the first time I knew for sure I was out of my depth, and I stood a good chance of drowning. Oh, uh, I'd like you to meet my employer and his, uh, associate, Hubie. Uh, this is Mr. Gil Stevens. Uh, yeah. And my boss, Mr. Nicholas Vadis. Mr. Vadis, this is Mr. Gil Stevens. Uh, no, he isn't. What? Or maybe you don't know it, but Karen, Hubie, and me already do. Starting as of now, you are the number one mystery man in the world. And the richest. You, my friend, are Mr. Derwood Drake. As Gil stares in astonishment at the fat little man, a cold trickle of fear runs down his backbone. He has no wish to give up his own identity, and some insistent warning tells him that if he did, 
The last person it should be for is Durward Drake. Except that suddenly his mood changes. For there are few men in America who would not gladly exchange places with a legendary Durward Drake. I'll return shortly with Act Two. Allstate asks, do you own a small business? Go over these questions with your present group health and life insurance agent. If your agent doesn't say yes to everyone, then... Talk to the good hands people. First question. Does your present basic medical expense insurance pay the very first dollar? Oh, that means you pay no deductible. For expenses such as surgery, room and board, x-ray and lab, and in-hospital doctor fees? If not... Talk to the good hands people. Does your present plan provide coverage for maternity expenses? If not... plan costs, what is and isn't covered, including benefit reductions and terms under which insurance continues in force. All state insurance companies, available in most states to businesses that qualify. Dreams. We all seek to understand the many ways in which God reveals his word. The Bible tells of King Nebuchadnezzar who dreamed dreams that troubled his sleep. One day, he commanded his magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers to recreate a particular dream and to interpret it. Daniel, gifted by God with the ability to interpret dreams, told the king his dream and its meaning. Upon hearing Daniel, the king exclaimed, Of truth it is, that your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets. Dreams and visions are ways in which God can speak to man. For your free booklet on dreams, write to the Foundation Church, 1147 First Avenue, New York, New York, 10021. That's the Foundation Church, 1147 First Avenue, New York, New York, 10021. Company, international playboy, headline maker as financier, lover, and sportsman. A man who was willing to lay his neck on the line for any risk. Automobile racing, powerboats, flying, skydiving, whatever was exciting and dangerous. And then, suddenly, mysteriously, he dropped out of the news and out of sight, only to become a new source of press interest, this time speculation instead of reporting. Whatever happened to Durward Drake? Protected by his billions, where does he hide? Why did one of America's foremost playboys suddenly disappear? Is Durward Drake alive or dead? Durward Drake? Why not? No one can tell you apart from him. Well, what does that mean? You look like him, sound like him. As well as I know him, if I didn't know that you were someone else, I'd swear that you would, uh, would... Uh, what was the name again? Mine? Gil Stevens. Excellent, Mr. Stevens. Now, suppose we get down to business. I, uh... I'm not sure I want to. Now, this is a straight business proposition. We need your services for, say, uh, a month or six weeks... $1,000 a day. 15000 up front for the first two weeks. Deposited in any bank you say in your name. The rest, after you have delivered the service we require of you. What service? There's nothing very complicated. Just pretend to be someone else temporarily. It's time the press and the media stopped questioning where you are. You're talking about Mr. Drake? Yes, that's right. You want me to take his place because I look like him? It's taken a lot of money, time, advertising to dig you up. Supposing I told you no. I'd turn you over to Hubie. You'd be his problem. And I'd keep on advertising till I found someone else close enough to handle things. What do you mean, turn me over to Hubie? Well, you already know too much to let you go. <laughs> hey, back off, man. You don't mean you'd have me, uh, 
killed. Why not? You mean you'd have that gorilla shoot me in cold blood? Oh, no, no, no. Hubie needs no guns. They show uh, Mr. Stevens your eraser, Hubie. Uh, ain't so pretty. But it sure comes in handy. Hubie has no qualms about using that hook. In fact, he rather enjoys it. I don't imagine you suffer any pangs either. Oh, none at all. I have no conscience. <laughs> you make a great pair. But I, I just can't figure what kind of girl would get involved. Don't stay out of my affairs. I don't see where you could fit in. Karen happens to be my daughter. And I've heard quite enough from you now, except what I want to hear. Do you accept my proposition? I don't seem to have much choice. But I, I still don't see what you need me for as a stand-in for Mr. Drake, unless... Well, you... you killed him. Don't be ridiculous. Scarcely. Don't be silly. My father is Derwood's right-hand man. He couldn't run his empire without him. I can hardly blame you for being suspicious, Mr. Stevens, but let me assure you one thing. In trying to hire you, I, all of us, are only acting as Mr. Drake's agents. What's the matter with him? What's he hiding from? He's a recluse. He prefers to keep away from other people. Why? Oh, come, come, come. You read the papers, Mr. Stevens. You know that he's a complex man with many idiosyncrasies. And he's rich enough to be able to indulge them. What are you hesitating for? Surely the pay is generous enough? Oh, it's too generous. Too good to be true. Just exactly what would I have to do? Very little, actually. Be seen a good deal in public. Escort Karen here to the races, theater. Meet the press. Give them statements we will prepare for you. Appear at some board meetings. Actually, it's a public relations job to restore confidence in Drake Enterprises. Okay. What have I got to lose? When do I start? As of now. We go straight to the plane. Hey, wait a minute. What, what about all my stuff at the hotel? And I've got to check out. Oh, very well. You'll be. Yeah, boys. Take Mr. Stevens to his hotel, let him check out, pick up his baggage, get him some dark glasses, and uh, see he wears a muffler around his face, just in case some smart reporter got wind of the plane and us coming in. And, uh, no messages. No contacts. Hey, now look, I, I don't... You heard the boss, I Move. And just so you don't get any funny ideas, I'll give you a little hint of why you shouldn't. The cold steel bit into my neck, stinging like the fangs of a serpent, drawing blood as I instinctively jerked away. Just as instinctively, a sheer reflex action, I swung at the giant. His reaction was fast. My fist slammed into the palm of his one huge hand. The punch stopped so abruptly I nearly dislocated my shoulder. I might as well have hit a wall. Hubie grinned at me a moment, then closed his hand over my fist. It was like a vice... The pain was excruciating. Till suddenly he let go. And don't mess around, buddy. You could get hurt. I went as obediently as a child. What the devil, I told myself. I could take it for six weeks. And 42,000 bucks would put me back on my feet again. Besides, I reflected, despite all the strong-arm stuff, they'd never dare use it once I was on the job. I'd be too valuable to them. I decided, as long as I wasn't hurting anyone, this wouldn't hurt me. The only trouble was, I was dead wrong on both counts. Only I didn't learn that till later. He's not married? No. Lives alone? Yes. Any relatives? One, his mother. Where does she live? Nebraska. What town? I, I don't know. I'll find out. Why? I want to pick up. What for? I want to control. Make sure I knew Derwood Drake does just as he's told. Oh, no, no, please leave her alone. Don't do that again to, to, to someone. I've got to be able to keep him in line. You should understand that better than anyone. Come on, let's get to the plane. I can't just drop out of sight like I fell off the earth, Mr. Ewell. What'd you call me? Mr. Ewell. The name is Vados. Nicholas Vados. But your daughter... Oh, is she married? No, but her name is Yule. It's quite correct. You see, she's my stepdaughter. Oh. Why can't you just drop out of sight? 
Who would miss you, girlfriend? No, but my friend, Deke Wagle, and his wife. I'm supposed to go there for dinner tomorrow night. Oh, we can take care of that. Uh, who else? Relatives, friends? Well, no one here in New York, but... Well, my mother. Didn't Karen say she lives in Nebraska? Yes, but she's quite old and all alone. She'll be expecting to hear from me on Sunday. Where in Nebraska? A little town in the middle of the state, Albion. Mm-hmm. You can get in touch with her on the U.S. coast. Is that a promise? Well, that is a definite promise. What about the Deke? You can call him from here on the plane before we take off. What's the number? 555-4246. You can call that from here? Oh, all the comforts of home. Uh, Karen, did you get that number? 555-4246, right. That's right. Uh, buzz me when you have it. I'll pick up here. All right, Nick. What do I tell him? Well, the same thing you're going to be telling anyone who needs to know. That you've gotten a job that takes you out of town, on the road, selling. Selling what? Something logical. Weren't you a football player? Yeah. One of the ones you couldn't tell without the scorecard. Okay. So that's what the job is, sporting equipment. What's the name of the firm? It's a new firm, Hardnitz. <sighs> no, it won't wash. Deke will want to know how to get in touch with me. Fine, he can reach you through the main office in Chicago. I'll have Karen get the address for you. You mean there really is such a firm? Yes. Mr. Drake picked it up a couple of months ago. Uh, excuse me a moment. Uh, come in, Hubie. I need you. Yeah, sure, boss. Oh, that'll be your call. You can pick up the phone. Uh, just one warning first. Stick to the script I lay down, hmm? One false word, and Hubie here will drop the curtain on you. Deke wasn't home, but I broke my news to Betty, who was delighted I'd gotten a job and wrote down the address Karen brought me. I kind of dragged out the call because somehow I felt that when I hung up, I was cutting my last link with the past, and in an oddball way, with myself. But finally I did. And within 15 minutes, we were airborne. The plane was something else. A 707 laid out like a penthouse apartment with bedrooms, living room, office, kitchen, and dining room. While Vados worked in the office, I got Karen to mix me a drink and join me so I could ask some questions. You might as well have a look at what's in the envelopes. Oh, what is it? Pictures of Derwood. I mean, Mr. Drake. Well... Here's looking at you before I look at him. To better acquaintance. Please, don't do that. You're a funny girl. I can't figure you out. Don't try. Stick to business. Open the envelope. Okay. Is, uh, this the way he looks now? Those were taken some time ago before he... Before he went into hiding. Hmm. And you think I look that much like him? Once you grow a mustache and we get your hair dyed darker... I don't particularly see it. I do. Boy, when you talk and look at me like that, I could almost forget what a... Go ahead. Finish it. No, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, where are we heading for? Vegas. Las Vegas? Well, I thought he, Mr. Drake, was out of the country somewhere. He was. He isn't anymore. You sure he's alive? Oh, yes. Quite sure. Then what's the point of me? Who needs me? He does. Why? That is something he'll have to tell you himself. That was all I could get out of Karen or Nick Vados or Hubie. The man of mystery that I was hired to double for remained as much a man of mystery as ever. Till we got to Vegas. The plane landed and a helicopter was waiting to lift us back into the hills to a cleverly concealed complex of building masked from the air by trees and surrounded by an electrified fence. The security was tighter than Fort Knox. I got some notion of why from my introduction to Durward Drake. All right, Mr. Stevens. You're about to find out the answer to many of your questions. I'm going to meet Mr. Drake? Not exactly meet him. He's not very sociable. But uh, you may see him. I think that perhaps will explain a great deal. Where are you taking me? To the room next to his. We, uh... We have found it advisable to make arrangements so that uh, we can, uh... 
keep an eye on him. That's all right, Carl. Just me. Allow uh, Mr. Stevens here to look through the viewer. Well, you are about to meet the man you uh, resemble so closely. I was looking through a viewer that fitted to my eyes like the mask on a periscope or an old stereopticon. By some trick of complementing mirrors, the entire room was revealed and somehow lighted at the same time so that even though the drapes were drawn and the room shaded, every detail was as clear as bright daylight. Too clear as I looked at the man sitting on a chair facing me. I could feel my stomach churn like I was going to be sick. I was literally frozen with horror as I finally saw why Durward Drake had chosen to become a recluse. What is Gill seeing through that strange device that is revolting him? What had happened to the man whose disappearance from society had so intrigued and mystified not only his own countrymen, but half the world? I shall return shortly with Act Three. If you went into a Buick dealer's between now and April 30th, do you know what would happen? Well, if you ordered one of four cars with a list of specially selected options, you'd get a vinyl top at no extra charge. Like that Skylark over in the corner? Order one with sport mirrors, a rally tilt steering wheel, body side stripes, and vinyl buckets, and Buick pops for the top. To find out about other cars, talk to your Buick dealer. He knows all that stuff. Buick, dedicated to the free spirit in just about everyone. Here are some statistics for people who aren't taking their high blood pressure seriously. If your blood pressure is 150 over 100, subtract 16 years from your life. And chances are, three times greater you'll have a stroke. Five times greater you'll have a heart attack. But your future can be normal and healthy if you do treat your high blood pressure seriously. See a doctor. Get back on your treatment. And this time, stick with it. Treat your high blood pressure and live. A public service message of this station and the Advertising Council. Hi, this is Lloyd Bridges with a favor to ask of you. Would you take a minute, just 60 seconds out of your busy day and listen? Really listen to the radio? I wouldn't intrude like this, except that I have an important message for you from the March of Dimes. Now, here it is. America's number one child health problem is birth defects. Not measles, not mumps, not the common cold, but birth defects. And the speed with which science finds the answers to that problem depends on you, not someone else, you. Your generosity to the March of Dimes will add to the fund that supports the massive research needed to find those answers. If you won't help, can you be sure anyone will? And if no one helps, can any of us ever hope that future generations will see the day when every child will be born free from the threat of birth defects? Please, before you go back to business as usual, show your support for this vital work. Give generously to the March of Dimes. of his own face, barely recognizable, like the distorted reflection in a carnival mirror. The forehead was thickened and distended by the overgrowth of the frontal sinuses. The nose and lips were thickened and coarsened. The whole head was gigantic in comparison with the body that supported it, as were the huge hands and feet. It was a sight at once so horrible and repellent that though he wanted to shut it out, he was held as though spellbound. Good Lord. What happened to him? The medical name is acromegaly, a form of giantism. It's caused by hyperfunction of the pituitary. Can anything be done about it? With his money, don't you suppose everything has been tried? In his case, no. No wonder the poor devil hides himself away. Is he sane? If you mean are his mental processes impaired by the disease, not at all. Physically, his symptoms are all outwards. Psychologically, well, that's another matter entirely. What kind of future does he have? He lives only for one thing, his uh, 
I'll call it Empire, which is getting shaky. We'll go in the other room. We can talk. After you, Mr. Drake. That's not my name. From now on, it is. What exactly is it he wants me to do? Be what he can't or won't allow himself to be. His visible presence. What difference will that make? Oh, great deal. Believe me. The flaw in the empire that Derwood Drake built is that it is a one-man show. None of his companies are public. There are no boards, no machinery of government except for him. He dictates all strategy, all direction, all finances. His system has worked because he is a prodigious genius and has the confidence of every top echelon member of all his staffs. Well, I should say, had. He's lost their confidence? He's losing it because he's hidden himself away so long. More and more people are becoming convinced that he's dead. And they're starting to desert. Why? Because of taxes. Under the present financial structure, the debt taxes would be so colossal it would bring the whole conglomerate down like a house of cards. Everyone knows that. Man, they want to jump before it happens. The nervous ones are starting to bail out already. And since he won't show himself as he is, he had to find a substitute. Me. Correct. Look, I'll never get away with it. I mean, even if people take me for him, I don't know the ones he knows. Or anything about business, or... I don't know a thousand things. While you're growing your mustache, you'll be instructed by me and Karen, and uh, everywhere you go, one of us will accompany you. It'll work. Because it must. The next week was a nightmare cram course. Charts, names, faces, thumbnail sketches, scrapbooks of old news stories, pictures, biographies written about him. The detailed personal history of his life mostly told me by Karen. Uh, where are we heading for? The summer house? If you don't mind. No. I just wondered why you always head for there when you talk about him. Oh, just habit, I guess. How come you know so much about him, Karen? Because I... We were going to be married before... Before he got sick? Yes. Do you, uh... Do you still love him? I don't know. It's hard to tell after all this time, particularly since... Oh, it's so unfair. You're so like him. I... Sometimes I'm afraid to look at you. What am I going to do? Hey, hey, hang in there, baby. Is there anything I can do to help? Yes. Oh, I don't know. If only I could think of a... Oh, it's Hubie. Hide me for a minute so I can dry my eyes. Sure. I don't want him to know what I told you. He won't. Oh, hello, Hubie. Are you looking for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. The boss wants to see the geek. The what? The performer Wonder Boy here. Oh, I gotta say one thing for you, fella. <laughs> oh, you're the spitting image of number one. Come on, you. We don't want to keep Mr. Vados waiting. And you come too, Karen. What does he want, Hubie? Well, I think he wants to put Pretty Boy here to work. I think we're going to let him out on a leash and let the public look him over. The next two weeks were a whirl. I spent most of them with Karen. But I was so busy meeting politicians, bank presidents, corporation men, trying to keep them straight and remember which I was supposed to know and which I didn't, that I had no chance to talk to Karen about what I really wanted to. What she'd been trying to say in the summer house when Hubie interrupted us. Even the few times I tried to get her alone, she avoided it. Apparently, she had decided against talking to me. And then late one afternoon, while she was instructing me on people I would meet the next day, she led me to the summer house. This tall man with the heavy horn-rimmed glasses is chairman of the board of Roswell Refineries. You know him casually, as well as the other people in these pictures. Here, let's sit down. You look them over, and I'll identify them for you. Keep concentrating as if you were memorizing the pictures. I have to talk to you. Um, this is wife? I'm listening. That's she. First name, Marjorie. He's dying. I just found out. 
It changes everything. Mr. Drake? Yes. Bavos isn't trying to save the Empire. He's pirating it. How can he do that? Through you. He'll teach you to forge Durwood's signature. Durwood can't sign for himself anymore. Why not? The disease is spreading. He's almost blind. His heart is already affected. It's only a matter of time. Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to be a forger. You'll have no choice. I'm not committing any crimes. I'll have to take my chances. It isn't yourself you'll have to worry about. What does that mean? I'm sorry, Gil, but they have your mother. What? Watch it. Don't think Hubie or someone doesn't have binoculars on us. At least I know this place isn't bugged. Are you sure about my mother? Yes. Now, there's only one way out. How? Only two people stand between us and freedom. Hubie and Vados. What about the army of guards? We don't have to worry about them. If I can just get to see Derwood, he'll be our passport to freedom. And see him? That's the trouble. Since... Well, since his illness, he's left orders he doesn't want to see me. Not that Vados would allow me to anyway. Then we're back at the beginning. How can we get rid of those two? It would take a gun to stop that tank, Hubie. Can you get hold of one? Not a chance. How about when we're out? I got a friend who's a cop I could call in New York. Or we could go to the police here. We could. And never see either of our mothers again. Then it's got to be here. You keep Vados busy. And I'll have to figure a way to take Hubie. How? That's the big question, all right. How? The next couple of days, I studied Hubie as carefully as I ever crammed on pregame films. How he moved, his reactions, their speed and predictability, probing for a weakness. Whatever I did, if I went for him, I'd most likely have only one shot to take him out. I had to figure out what it would be. And then I thought I saw it. His hand. It was amazing in that big hulk. But it was as soft as a baby's. The nails always lovingly manicured by someone. Clean as a woman's. And the care he took of it. It was his most precious possession. He didn't want anything to happen to that hand. But as it happened, it was my hand that triggered the climax. Right. Damn you, Stevens, right. My my hand is cramped, Vados. I've got to rest it. Well, I suppose there's time. How much are you planning to milk the conglomerate for? Oh, 50 or 60 million. All the available liquid assets I can lay my hands on. Well, that'll bankrupt everyone. Throw thousands of people out of jobs. I told you I had no conscience. And once you have your money, all the rest of us will become dispensable, too. Well, we'll cross that bridge. Let's see how cooperative I find you. Let Karen and her mother and mine go, and I'll cooperate all the way. Even if I were disposed to, that'd be quite impossible. I need their cooperation, too. I'm quite sure I couldn't count on it if they were free. Now, come on. You're wasting time, Mr. Stevens. Well, I'm afraid you need a little more persuasion. I'll send Hubie upstairs to arrange that. sense in kidding myself. If I was going to make a move, this was the time. I had a glimmering of an idea. There was a heavy glass paperweight on the desk. I made a fist over it with my left hand. In the right, I had a pen. I opened the big, heavy teak desk drawer on my right and pushed some pens in there towards the back. I was as ready as I ever would be for Hubie. I hear the boss wants you moved along a little faster, huh? Well... No, no, honest, Hubie, I'm, I'm getting it. You better. It's just my, my hand is cramped and the, the pen's out of ink. You, uh, you want to give me a, a new one out of the drawer? Ah, get it yourself. As soon as I, as I work the cramp out, my, my fingers won't open. Ah, yeah, that'll open. Here, here, here. I'll, I'll get the pen. As soon as he reached his hand in, with all the power I could summon, I slammed the drawer shut. Ah, my hand! I could hear the bones grind and snap. 
And at the same time, I brought my left hand around with the paperweight in it to the pit of his stomach. It was like hitting a board. I'm going to kill you for that. Oh, my hand. I'm going to cut you to ribbons. He pulled open the drawer with his hook, freeing the mangled right hand. And then, his face twisted with rage and pain, he started to stalk me. I moved backwards lightly, waiting for an opening. At least I didn't have to be afraid of the right hand now. And I felt my reflexes would be quicker than his. Suddenly, the door was at my back. Now, and my timing had to be just right, I waited till he raised the hook. Then, pushing off from the door with all the strength in my leg, I went underneath and low for an ankle tackle. With a grunt, I took his feet right out from under him. And to save himself, the hook bit into the oak door like it was pine. As he struggled to free it, I hit him hard behind the ear with a paperweight. Three times. Until he sat limply. And the body fell heavily to the floor. The stump tearing out of the harness and leaving the hook impaled in the door. I dragged him away. Struggled for a moment till I freed the hook. At least it was some kind of weapon. I pulled open the door. Karen was just coming down the hall. Look out, Gil! Nick, he's coming upstairs and he has a gun. I turned. His head was just coming level with the landing. With an expression of utter fury, he lifted the gun he was carrying, aiming it at Karen. Not you, but her. I want you dead! He never got the warning out, because reflexively, as he brought up the gun, I had hurled hook and harness at him. Turning and twisting in the air, the two razor-sharp prongs had dug deep into the jugular on each side of his fat neck. He fell like a stone all the way down the stairs. Well? Everything is all right. Derwood knows everything. He'll be our safe conduct. Oh, Gil. Take it easy. It's all over. Vados, is he... is he dead? It was him or me. And Hubie? You couldn't crack that skull with a poleaxe. But he's trussed up tight, so if he comes to, he's not going anywhere. Oh, but we are out of here. I'll go get Derwood. You know, one thing I'm happy about. We need at least one. That he doesn't see so well. I wouldn't want him to look at you and see what, well... What he once was. Under hospital care, Durward Drake's death was less imminent than it seemed. He lived long enough to reorganize his companies and save his empire. It was his genius that accomplished it, but the actual work was carried out by his new right-hand man. Gil Stevens simply carried out orders, including a personal one Durward insisted on. Gil resisted at first, but finally carried it out, since, after all, it was the one he most wanted to obey. He married Karen. I'll be back shortly. How you apply paint is just as important as what paint you use. Hi, Pat Summerall to suggest your nearby True Value hardware store for help with both. The what is their True Test paint. And the how, True Test Orel paint brushes and the True Test five piece roller painting set. True Test paint brushes have Orel polyester bristles that won't droop, even in latex paints. They outwear ordinary bristles by three to one, and they come in many sizes and shapes. Choose flat edge brushes for painting large areas or angular chisel edge brushes for trimming jobs. And True Value hardware stores have the True Test five piece roller painting set. That includes a nine-inch roller frame, two roller covers, an extension pole, and a ribbed metal tray. These True Test painting supplies are ideal companions to True Test paints, and they're just some of the many values you'll find at the participating True Value hardware store near your home. And you can charge it on Master Charge at many stores. indebted to Hubie, that unforgettable character, for the title of this story. Not only that, 
but to learn that that puzzling phrase has nothing to do with expectoration. It comes from the old English word spit, meaning an exact likeness. Thus, your double is your spit and image. Our cast included Michael Tolan, Patricia Elliott, Ralph Bell, and Earl Hammond. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Oh, I am so sorry. I, I bothered everyone. Now, Karen, you know there's no such thing as a ghost. Now, where was this uh, ghost, Karen? She came from the woods near... Near the greenhouse and on the lawn. She? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she. The white ghost. Oh, she's always a woman. And this woman, she had long blonde hair. And her face. I could not see her face. Because she doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the white ghost. She's always a girl who's been murdered. And she comes back. Now, that's nonsense. Oh, no. But it is true. She always comes back to the house of the people who have loved her to let them know she still loves them. But we don't know any girl who has been murdered. Yes, we do. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Sinoff, the sinus medicines, and True Value Hardware Stores. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant... Dreams. Commercial navigation of the Trinity River isn't a new idea. The waterway carried ferryboat traffic well over a century ago. A ferry across the river was expected to draw more settlers to the brand new county. John Neely Bryan operated the ferry near his riverside cabin, adding that enterprise to his other jobs of running the territory's post office and selling lots in his new town. That was Dallas in 1846, a bicentennial message from the city of Dallas in this station. WFAA, Dallas, Fort Worth.